All right, we're live. Welcome back to another episode of Regenerative Landscape. So this week, as you've realized that Don is missing and it's annoying voice from Kevin, Dan is oh, not annoying. <laughs> and I'm also here. Dan is here. Dan uh, is here to too. Periodically jump in and talk about things. Where, yeah, I guess today we're talking about. <laughs> ourselves and the business <laughs> i guess <laughs> yeah we'll just spend 40 minutes the entire shameless, episode shameless plugs, but for the whole episode yeah, <laughs> yeah that'll work <laughs> nothing could possibly go wrong yeah people people won't get frustrated exactly yeah, no yeah because okay. we are so friendly and we're going to have everything. our business <laughs> yeah and then everyone's going to hire us to do the yard and they'll ask us about the design and everything yeah two friendly faces oh yeah Okay, so like we always do, let's talk about what we've done last week. Then, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, not too much again because still in this pandemic. So same old, uh, not too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's been nicer now that the weather's warmed up, so kind of been able to go outside a little bit. I mean, not still not able to do too much but at least it's nicer to you know walk around and enjoy the fresh air <laughs> and kind of and kind of getting excited for uh because i've just kind of been deep. yeah you live by the by the river valley yeah so it's kind of nice just to kind of walk and see around there yeah yeah um but yeah uh just kind of been lately daydreaming about uh all the stuff hopefully this season that we can accomplish with uh uh fescue naturalization um yeah, I don't know. Just uh, I have a good feeling that mm-hmm. this year, I think, you know, whether it be, you know, small, a few small projects or a lot of big ones, uh, it'll be a good time. But uh, let's see. Other oh, than- yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Just got so last oh, week, I re- so last week I remember it was um, last weekend. It was positive six degrees or seven degrees. I remember it was. Yeah, it was warm. Yeah. <laughs> Then uh, finally, after I think two or three months, went outside for a walk and everything. Oh, that felt nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, being cooped up in the house uh, for yeah. <laughs> almost a year. I mean, periodically going out for groceries and whatnot. But yeah, being cooped up in a house for almost a year is not fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's causing mental issues. And I think more and more people are trying to commit suicide if it doesn't get any warmer. Yeah, like people just want to get out and be able to kind of go back to normalcy or <laughs> some sort of normalcy. And, and it's it's tricky. Yeah. And it's hard because, I mean, you know, we're still in the middle of this thing and it, it's looking like things will mm-hmm. somewhat turn back to normal, hopefully by summer, fall-ish with how vaccines and stuff are coming out. But again, it's just this whole... And, you know, this probably won't be the end of it. Like, there will probably be more variants or... No. Or, or different kind of virus, but have similar effects of, you know, it's going to be transmissible pretty quick and going to have to figure out how to handle that again. But at least hopefully... <laughs> Hopefully, uh, people have learned now that, yeah, it's not a quick thing to solve. It takes, <laughs> it takes time and it takes everybody to kind of work together to kind of fix, not fix it, but help slow the spread and kind of yeah back to normal somewhat. But Yeah, talk about talking about that. And I, 
I, I want to tell you that I just heard the news. You know, the whole virus it came from uh, Wuhan, China, right? The the wet market mm -hmm. over there, and then they sell all those exotic wildlife and all those stuff. And they're saying now it's back to operation again. I guess those peasants they just never learn. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, <laughs> it's tricky because I think I was listening to what was it? I think a John Oliver thing where he was talking about uh, uh, wet markets. A little bit and how, like, I think China did try to kind of curtail, kind of not limit, what's, well, put restrictions on, I guess, as to, you know, what you could sell and kind of all the health measures and whatnot. And I think kind of better. No, I think they just outright got rid of them for a bit. And then, then the black market just skyrocketed as was to kind of be expected. And it just was worse because there was no oversight. It was just kind of whoever wanted to <laughs> buy stuff and whatever yeah. could. Whereas at least with wet markets, how they are now, at least they're a little bit still pretty open. Like, again, I mean, I haven't actually been to one, but just from <laughs> <laughs> just from what uh, articles and news things have been saying that, yeah, like there there's some oversight, but they're still they're kind of regulated in yeah. a gray area. <laughs> yeah, but it's still pretty open in the sense that like <laughs> you, you, there's a lot of stuff you can still sell. <laughs> And some of it's questionable, but yeah, they just never learn because in 2002, I don't remember, was it 2002 that they got the SARS that was from the, some kind of, uh, wildlife market in China. Yes. And now, now there's the COVID and now people are even saying that, oh, uh, COVID is actually not from, uh, eating bats. It's actually from badgers and ra rabbits. That's why I heard. Oh. Yeah, I've never heard that. That <laughs> Yeah. That would be interesting. So if you see a uh, a white tail rabbit, uh yeah, white tail jack rabbit on the street, run it over. <laughs> Kill them all. <laughs> is it is it our rabbits that caused it? Or <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's those uh, Chinese rabbits. Mm. The taste the tasty ones. Oh, okay. <laughs> but now there's the question that are those uh, white-tailed jackrabbits, are they going to carry them and just transmit them between the animal and the human in Alberta? Or no, I don't know. No one has done that research before. I'm just thinking about that. Yeah, I don't know. Because I know early on, and I think they still are looking at, uh, I mean, like cats and dogs, like domesticated, those kind of domesticated animals that are you know, mm, close yeah. contacts with humans, but yeah, kind of maybe domesticated wildlife that kind of runs around i don't know yeah if they've really looked at that stuff again i guess it's not really a priority if they're <laughs> focused more on the human trying to get us inoculated and vaccinated no. before uh, <laughs> before worrying about uh, these things that could be possibilities of transmission mm -hmm. yes yeah, yeah and talking about the warm weather mm -hmm. Uh, I think last Thursday or no, was it yesterday or the day before that? I remember that it was kind of warm and then sunny. Then suddenly it just started snowing. And I think the global warming or the climate change, that's how they call it now, because the, the warmer part of the globe, it's getting colder and the colder part, it's getting warmer. Like where I came from, um, it's usually like above zero. And I remember I was talking to my parents last December here, uh, here in December, it was, uh, last December, it was very warm. I remember always above zero. Right. Yeah. And I was talking to my parents back home. They're saying, Oh, it's so cold. It's like below zero. Um, <laughs> unbelievably cold. 
And I'm like, oh, here it's like spring, warm. And now after that, uh, in Alberta, it got, it got super cold, like minus 40. And over there, it, it, it was almost 20 degrees, like spring. Oh, wow. And then the flowers started blooming and all those stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's all the things. It's just going upside down. The world, it's turning upside down. <laughs> That's why we are here. Vascular naturalization. Save the planet. <laughs> one community, one house at a time. Yeah. Got to start somewhere. That's good for the advertisement. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I'm running the show. I'm running the show. Let's make it like a stand-up comedy. Make it fun oh, some more. Don't people put that listen to our me. show. <laughs> I'll be educational and fun. <laughs> Previously on the show, we already talked about um, kind of our background, what kind of education we had, and why we wanted to do the Regenerative Landscape, this podcast. So I guess in this episode, we can talk more about um, why, what made you decide to start this company, do something that's different than the traditional landscaping company? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, like, I mean, I think we briefly glanced over it, talking or discussed it about um, kind of why we got into mm-hmm. starting this business. And I think, I mean, for me mainly, it was I was working with uh, a company previously that's no longer uh, uh, in business, uh, Clark Ecoscience and Sustainability, where I worked as, I don't know, <laughs> I had multiple positions in that company because, again, it was very small and I had to I had to wear multiple hats uh, while working with uh, that company for, what was it, four years? Yeah, about four years. Uh, so sometimes I'd be a R&D uh, <laughs> person researching um, one of our projects we had was a biochar biochar amendment uh, allocation thing for a stormwater pond because I think boss wanted to see kind of how biochar amendments would affect plant production both for uh, the native plants that we would install there and if it would you know be beneficial and by how much or is it just not really that much of a difference or is it and then also with uh, invasive species and how well biochar amendments do in terms of trying to not eradicate but uh, mitigate uh, invasive species on a certain plot and again there's different levels of biochar anyway so that was kind of like the r&d side of it and then i was just kind of a general laborer for some projects and then we also had two greenhouses or like we had a field nursery and a greenhouse so kind of working there doing the growing of native plants did a bunch of stuff there and I always thought, like, I never thought that I was going to get into urban uh, naturalization type work. I thought I was going to be more kind of out doing more reclamation, restoration projects, you know, out in mining, oil and gas, kind of those uh, sectors. But, you know, I found a good opportunity to do something in the Edmonton area. My education helped me out with the job opportunity was kind of perfect in the sense that you know it was somewhere in the city learning basically doing restoration but on an urban scale and i thought that was kind of cool to you know just kind of give it a go because yeah me and you we at lakeland college we took um what was the name of the course it was urban development and something i think restoration yeah yeah Uh urban yeah urban planning and yes something development something yeah right? and 
I mean, to be honest, like I wasn't really keen or excited about a lot of the stuff that that course was horrible. <laughs> what we learned in that <laughs> course, mainly because we were just reading out of a textbook and maybe doing a presentation on a hypothetical technology or scenario related with Ooh. urban development. Yeah, was it was it Stroke who was the who was the professor for that one? <laughs> uh, James, yeah. <laughs> We should send a link to. Oh yeah, <laughs> and pretty much we just taught ourselves, right? Because he didn't do anything. It's like different people doing different presentations. I remember. Yeah, stuff like that. Because I think everybody did a main presentation. Everybody also did kind of like an intro thing to everybody's main presentation. So everybody has to do two things based out of this one textbook. Mm-hmm. And, we- and I remember I attacked him during my uh, presentation. I just mocked him a lot and he got mad and gave me like a, a B minus or C plus, something like that. And I argued with him afterwards. <laughs> anyway, carry on. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. So working with Clark Ecoscience for about four years, definitely got a lot of experience and kind of learning about what it takes to run a small company, but also what it takes to run a landscaping bit. Well, not even a landscape. Like, I mean, we did do landscaping on a very small scale, but still learning how to kind of run that business on that small scale was very helpful with <laughs> what we're going to try and do now with fescue naturalization. <laughs> what was the question you even asked? I forget. I was just going on a rant. I think you can talk about um, the projects you did, like the the large pound and the the Rocher stone pound and thing. Any highlights for those two projects? Because I want the listener to know that if you can, yeah, if you you're able to do those those big projects, then those uh, residential yards shouldn't be a problem at all. Yeah. So yeah. So tying it all. <laughs> kind of going back to why we wanted to start fescue or like why I want to start fescue naturalization with Kevin was, yeah. So Clark Ecoscience shut down and it was just kind of a gap in kind of, and I mean, this kind of happened during the winter season and usually with the work, it's kind of starts, you know, springtime or whenever the snow kind of melts and then kind of work until the snow snow comes back in the fall. So that can be, you know, October, November, uh, somewhere around there. Uh, so there was a lot of time to uh, think while uh, Clark, e- like while I was kind of out of a job and Clark Ecoscience was no more and kind of thinking, okay, well, do I want to go back to school? Do I want to maybe, I don't know, work, go in a different direction, work at maybe actually going in the direction that I was kind of thinking of once I finished uh, Lakeland College, uh, getting my diploma there was kind of, yeah, going more into the restoration reclamation with the kind of more industrial sector with oil and gas uh, mining and whatnot. Uh, but then I uh, kind of got to talking with Kevin here and, you know, Kevin was kind of on the same mindset of, you know, let's let's do something like you were, like I was already doing with Clark Ecoscience, but kind of do it for ourselves because a lot of th- times too as i've been periodically looking uh for jobs is i i kind of felt like well pay's not super great or it's it, you know there's something just a little bit off that you know i just don't really want to kind of go for it and i figure why why don't i just be my own boss cuz even with clark ecoscience 
I really did like working with my boss. Not all the time, like, cause not, in my opinion, I don't think any boss is going to be uh, perfect. But uh, you know, it, it, it's a nice feeling when you can kind of just work for yourself, uh, be your own boss, and kind of just kind of decide what you want to do with the work. And, and I kind of figured with the passion that I had or have for the environment, sustainability, and trying to make the world a better place, even by doing these little small things. And, you know, every little thing counts. Um, but just doing all these little things. Yeah, I'm just hoping that with Fescue Naturalization and the work that we do, even if it's just doing these residential yards and, yeah, doing the odd big project, we can make the world a little bit better. And I figured, you know, as me and Kevin started talking about, okay, how do we actually set this up and get this thing going? It just became more and more clear that I think this is doable. And, you know, and, and I felt good about it. And I, <laughs> I think that's kind of a feeling I haven't had for a while was feeling good about actually doing work. Like, I felt like that with some of the projects that I did with uh, Clark Ecoscience, but not all the time. And again, it's not it's not going to be perfect with us as we're just starting out uh Again, with a small business, but being able to have a little bit more control as to what work um, we want to do that's going to benefit uh, our clients and ourselves and uh, the environment. It just made me feel like there's hope <laughs> with uh, a lot of the work that we're going to do. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, quickly, I'll just talk about one of the other projects that I work with with Clark Ecoscience that kind of really inspired me to start this own start fescue naturalization with uh, Kevin here was we did a project in Larch Park, which is, uh, what's the neighborhood? McGrath, uh, the na- McGrath neighborhood. Um, and it was a beautiful park. And I never... Where, where I'm living now. Super good. Oh, super great oh, neighborhood. Don't, don't tell the viewers or don't tell the listeners. They might <laughs> try to figure out where you actually live. Oh, no. Now they can find me. <laughs> uh, they cannot tag me. Yeah. Don't worry. I might just move soon. It's fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we were working on a project in Large Park where the way the park was set up was it was almost kind of split in half, where half of it was kind of a traditional stormwater management uh, facility or a pond where you kind of had your kind of regular turf you had some kind of cattail somewhat aquatic species kind of lining the kind of shore of the pond area and then kind of just had it designed so that the inlets would you know kind of slowly drain uh, like any other stormwater pond like it slowly drains and uh, flows and holds uh, excess water when there's a high rain event and whatnot so there that's kind of one half and then the other half it still does the same thing, but what we did was, and I came at the tail end of it. I actually wasn't there at the beginning because I think they started that project 2012, maybe somewhere around there. And I didn't jump on it until 2015, 2016, I think. Um, but anyways, uh, jumping in when I did with that project, I just thought it was amazing that what they set up on that other half, and it's pretty drastic if you, if, you know, if the listeners ever get a chance, go visit Large Park because it is kind of crazy to see how like you kind of walk down i mean there's multiple paths getting into it but you walk down and you just see the drastic contrast between like one side of it being like almost this kind of immaculate cut uh manicured uh pond area and then you look on the other side and it 
kind of looks messy. And I mean, when I first got there, it was, I mean, there was a lot of weed problems and there still might be, I haven't been there in about a year now. Um, but it, it looks messy, but just all the, how much biodiversity is just kind of in that small area and how it was designed, I thought was kind of cool. And kind of a little bit behind the scenes, what uh, a coworker that I was working with at Clark Ecoscience showed me, like, cause they, um, they set up uh, trail cameras and what they had was what they captured was like all this different biodiversity or all this different wildlife that, I mean, normally you don't, you probably wouldn't see on the other side of the pond where, you know, we had some foxes, we had some uh, uh, cranes, we had uh, a whole bunch of different critters and whatnot. And I just thought it was really cool to see just that, how much biodiversity we've got on just that one side, just by throwing it. Well, just by A, how you, how it got designed, which wasn't too difficult. Well, I, I don't want to say it's too difficult because I didn't actually design it, but um, I think pretty minimal impact on the area uh, in terms of what you're putting in. And then also what you put in, which was just all these different native plants, which uh, creates all this biodiversity, which I thought was really cool. And and what my boss was telling me, because with every stormwater pond that you're building, you know, the city and all these other uh, shareholders and whatnot have to play a part in, you know, inspections and monitoring and all this kind of stuff. And when it came to the city of Edmonton, when they have to do kind of their final um, kind of like check mark or like review to say, OK, is this up to code, up to snuff? And can we, uh, you know, give approval and move on to the next project? So when they were doing that, I think... What my I never actually saw. Anyways, I think I think the because I think they do a letter grading, and I think with that pond in particular, I think it got one step above what the kind of average is for marking these ponds. So I think most ponds get like a D grading, which is kind of the minimum I think to kind of pass. Uh, but then I think that pond in particular got a C, and I still haven't seen like the criteria as to like what they're actually marking stuff on with these ponds, but. I think that was kind of a big accomplishment for Clark Ecoscience was to get a C grading on this pond that for an urban stormwater pond, like like an urban wetland, man-made wetland, getting that letter grading, I think was a big accomplishment for my boss and that company. And if we can get a fraction of that for the kind of work that we do, and I hope we can, because just based off of my work experience, working with uh, Clark Ecoscience. And yeah, I think, I think good things can happen. <laughs> trying to get, uh, trying to achieve the highest quality we can mm-hmm. with an urban setting for maybe not ponds all the time, but, uh, you know, just these regenerative landscapes and being able to cre- create those efficiently, effectively, and being able to have uh, our clients enjoy them for lifetime, for a lifetime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one thing I want to say about that large pond is that um, it's actually my go-to place throughout the year ever since I moved to uh, the McGrath uh, neighborhood while I'm talking about where I live again. But it's okay. I'm moving away. <laughs> Don't try to find me. You cannot find me anyways. <laughs> anyways, so I remember... Uh, well, to be honest, I think people, the general public, they prefer the more uh, traditional side of the large pond because you can see that more people, they try to hang out around that area. And the geese, those geese, they like that area. It's just everywhere, like overpopulated. But anyways, during summer months, I remember like this, you really see the diversity when you go into the, the naturalized area, the naturalized wetland. 
you can see all those uh, layers of plants. Like you can see, really see all those willows. Because on the um, on the traditional side, there's only like one or two very scattered willow, and it's just lawn. Yeah. On the <laughs> outskirt, but for the naturalized area, you can really see all those different kinds of willows, and then the sedges around it. And out there uh, on the outer skirt, it's like the buffalo beans. Well, I mean, it's not like um, I don't know what's your opinion about buffalo beans because it's not it's a native, but it's kind of invasive at the same time, right? Yeah, like um, in my opinion, like I mean, I kind of like them because they smell sweet, but. <laughs> Uh, I understand uh, that they are pretty aggressive uh, if they're not controlled uh, correctly, but I don't know. I, I still, and again, it really depends what you're looking for in an area, but for, I think, for how much, how many other plants are there, last I remember, I don't think it's the worst thing to have buffalo bean kind of spreading out aggressively, but uh, like, I mean, I'd rather have that than the thistle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i think buffalo bean it really adds the color to the landscape because uh, i remember i went there i think it was july or august where when like it's it's hot and everything else it's there's no flower blooming anymore but except the buffalo bean you can still see those yellow tiny yellow flowers as like a ground coverage i really like those compared to just the traditional lawn because it adds something different into mm-hmm. the landscape yeah like i mean yeah it, it, yeah my opinion i i don't worry too much about it <laughs> but i can understand if it's not you know if it's being aggressive in a spot where you really don't want you know a whole plot of buffalo bean then yeah i could see being frustrated and you might want to <laughs> do something else yeah okay and one more thing i want to mention about the large pond is that i really like the educational side of that project because um, I was mentioning to Dan, I, I remember a couple of months ago, I was taking a walk and there's like those uh, information, uh, they made those boards with the information on it saying that, okay, this is a naturalized area. They tried to do uh, this, this and this, and this is what they are trying to achieve, create biodiversity and all those stuff. And they took some pictures, listed, listed some bird species that will be able to see within this area. I really like those i think education it might be the key to create or promote biodiversity and sustainability and i think if they i don't know about the education system here well we talked about that in the previous podcast that's going to be posted soon um i think education might really be the key to achieve something more no agreed because I, yeah, I do like that with large park, they do have those really nice um, little displays as to kind of why it's designed this way and why it looks this way and what's in there and all the benefits and whatnot. I do like large park for being able to do something like that. And I've seen other stormwater ponds or kind of places where there's subnaturalized vegetation put in, either put in by people or kind of helped to be propagated naturally by people. I've seen other places that do have signage similar but i don't think as in as in greater detail as um large park um but yeah like i I agree because going like working on deroche and even large park too uh the people that are even bordering those ponds a lot of the time i mean some people complain because you know with a naturalized area when you first kind of do it and up to a certain point it's it's gonna look messy 
And like you said, how some people prefer that kind of more manicured type pond area. Uh, yeah, some people were complaining that, oh, well, this is, you know, too messy. Uh, I don't like it and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, and I think that's partially coming from maybe a lack of education as to why, you know, this place is designed the way it is or why it looks messy. And my my guess is they never really took a chance to, <laughs> to actually either do their own research or just even look at these things that were already put in place. And I think it just makes it easier for people that are visiting these places already. If you have something, a little info, informational thing, that kind of tells them why it's designed the way it is, uh, that helps them to kind of get a better understanding and to maybe, you know, further look into maybe even doing it for themselves, like doing this kind of design or just kind of thinking of the idea of sustainability and how do you, what can I do to help with, you know, prevented climate change and uh, just bring it back uh, biodiversity into kind of our urban areas. And then, yeah, that's, and that's kind of just the kind of small part of the educating the public by just, you know, throwing a little informational thing at these sites. But the other part too is being able to tell even just these neighborhoods, how, how do we get all these people, like, it'd be nice if you could get 100% people within a neighborhood on board to, you know, do this kind of naturalized regenerative landscape type work. But how do you do that in a way where you can kind of get at least show everybody what we're doing and how can we engage them in a way um, that's fun, but also they get educated in kind of the purpose and reasoning for uh, how we do the, the things that we do with design, build and growing all that stuff that needs to happen to get regenerative landscape stuff going um so that's kind mm -hmm. of the key thing and you know things like with dawn doing her workshops with medicinal with uh kind of on the medicinal side of things um definitely helps to because again there's so much crossover with what we're doing what she's doing that that helps and i don't know eventually we'll get into maybe doing workshops and stuff and kind of working with her to you know kind of talk about the stuff we're already talking about with this podcast but kind of doing it on a more hands-on experience and actually getting more into these neighborhoods uh, and to the people within them versus kind of on this podcast where it's very, um, I don't want to say one side of what's the right word, uh, like very distant because, you know, you're just hearing our voices on a podcast, but to be able, and you know, that's, <laughs> that's once this pandemic is uh, not with us anymore, or, <laughs> or at least we all get vaccinated soon and we can actually go out and, you know, interact with people again uh, to be actually be able yeah, to. Then, then they can get our autographs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, being able to start doing. I'll sign the book. We'll write the book. Yeah. Sign the book. <laughs> bring a copy of the, the 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 title, the cover art of the podcast. I'll sign it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like. Yeah, but I want to. I actually can speak to the the educational part of the. Uh, the regenerative landscape because uh, well, I, I don't actually blame those people who's kind of, I, I don't know, they might not even be close-minded. They just don't know the benefit of those, um, uh, the biodiversity and those stuff. Cause oh, yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like I, I came from a big city and then in my education, they really didn't talk about um, the biodiversity and sustainability. And even if they talked about that, I wouldn't understand because it was not 
around me. But beside me, it's just tall buildings, and they build those man-made parks. It's very like manic- manicured and then very well maintained. And no one ever ta- taught me that. Oh, nature! It's supposed to be messy. I didn't know that. And even just. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to my dad, saying that oh, I want to buy a house. I want to buy a house that's backing onto a ravine where there's like forest, and they haven't touched the forest. He's like, oh, why do you buy a house backing onto a ravine where it's so messy and lots of mosquitoes and bugs? Have you thought about that? It's going to be、uh, very moist. The humidity is going to be very high. Did you think about those stuff? Why don't you just buy a house that's backing onto、um, a man-made park? I'm like what? <laughs> so yeah, of course he didn't have、uh, those. He didn't have those education about the nature and those stuff. And I tried to explain to him about all those stuff, but you know it takes a very long time. And it took me how long? How long have I been here? I think I've been here for six years. I think it was like the last couple years I really turned around and become very environmental conscious. I would say because when I first came here, I still I was still like, oh, why do I go to a park that's so messy and so many bugs? I cannot understand that. Why they why don't they just cut down all the trees and just make that into a lawn? It's so well maintained and it's easy easier to take care of and there's le- less stuff to take care of. But After all those years, the education and seeing different stuff, and I would say also the social media and everything, then I start to realize, okay, that's not the right thing to do. That's not good for the future generation.、Uh, so I think I really believe that with the proper education and just maybe like Dan said, some workshop and those stuff, people will really understand those concepts more.、Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, and okay. Do you want to talk about like what you see ourselves as a company, Fastcue Naturalization, in the next five years? Sure.、Um, Just a vision. Yeah, with us in the next five years, I'm hoping that you know we like we're gonna start small currently, but we're hoping yeah in the next five years we can have multiple crews going out, like almost treating it like a typical landscaping company, but again focusing on the principles. Of、uh, regenerative landscaping and being able to apply that. I mean, we'll mainly focus on kind of on the small scale residential yards, something small where you can create your own little ecosystem, you know, in your front, your front or your backyard, wherever、uh, on your property. But then hopefully we can kind of expand it to. It would be great if we could make this more of a kind of provincial, at least starting with Alberta, like at least being able to spread out a little bit more,、uh, not just focused on kind of these urban. Areas you know, kind of close by, whether it be Edmonton or kind of you know, Shore Park, Saint Albert, Spruce Grove, Leduc, those kind of areas. But being able to spread out a little bit more and start to kind of you know、uh, expand kind of our scope, where we could start working on these big stormwater ponds or even kind of reclamation restoration work. Being able to get to that point where yeah, we can just be <laughs> bigger and better within the next five years to. When somebody's thinking about okay, let's make a or like I'd like to change or like redo、uh, a pond that I have on my acreage, let's say, and being able to and you know this is somebody that's you know maybe near the Lethbridge area or somewhere like somewhere further south than where we were where we are in Edmonton right now, and being able to just kind of like go to them, you know, show them all these kind of designs depending on you know what they're looking for as to kind of、uh, you know the. Services and benefits they want to get out of their 
uh, regenerative landscape uh, designed yard or area or plot of land, whatever, and being able to, you know, kind of conceptually show them that, being able to you know, actually travel down there, you know, with crews and being able to being able to do that in an efficient, effective way. Um, that's not super expensive. Like it's, it's, it's always going to be a little more pricey than kind of doing your traditional landscaping, but then understanding that the reason for that is how we have to source things out and how we have to design things. But knowing that once is all said, when all is said is done, um, you truly get an eco, an ecosystem that you can say that you got established on your plot of land or wherever you want to get things done so yeah for us yeah if we can get to that point where we can spread out a little bit more we have multiple people doing multiple things but still having that same level of care and efficiency for these principles of regenerative landscaping that get applied to our projects i think i'll be happy (laughs) yeah i'm i've been dreaming about in the future maybe five years there's a new development area and then the the entire strip of the the street, the entire block, it will just be full of the native species and it will create its own ecosystem. That's something I really want to see. It doesn't have to be from our company. It doesn't have to be from vascular naturalization, but I really hope that the stuff we are starting to do now, that more people will see it and then they're going to tell their neighbors and they then they're going to spread the word around. It doesn't have to be us by then. Maybe there'll be other companies who's doing this kind of stuff, but we just want to promote the idea that we just want the people to know that, oh, actually, I, I want to tell my kid one day, oh, I started this idea. And then you see all the stuff that's happening. It's actually from us. I want that to happen. Yeah. I'm selfish sometimes, <laughs> but... You have to have intentions, good intentions, I would say. <laughs> oh, for sure. And to, yeah, kind of, kind of reiterate that. Yeah, like being able to like the work that we do. Yeah, in the next five years, if we can at least get private businesses, uh, kind of just this whole sector that we're in, that's kind of small and more on the growing side, in my opinion. But kind of just getting the private sector and kind of these municipalities and you know, like the city of Edmonton, city of Calgary, provincial wide, being able to show them the importance of this kind of work and being able to inspire other companies that are either established or the or just getting started with similar ideas, being able to kind of create that big network of people that want to promote sustainability, promote regenerative landscaping, uh, promote, you know, anything to do with naturalized naturalizing an area. Um, with good practices and being able to set that up or being able to inspire that for other people to kind of all come together and be able to provide that, provide these services for people that want to get involved too. Yeah, that's true. Thank you for all the listeners out there bearing with us. I would say if you get a chance, definitely go to uh, the Large Pound to check it out because that's, um, yeah, it's something different that you might see in the city. Uh, It's just located by 23rd Avenue and Rabbit Hill Road, right? Uh, Yeah, I think that's right. Make sure you check out our website, fastq.ca, and also our co-host that's out today, Dawn. Check out her website. She's doing some very wonderful stuff too. 
the, all the native species it's going to be provided by her. Her website, mmgardens.ca. Don't hesitate to tweet me on Twitter at FastConnaturalization. And also, you can also visit our Facebook page. Yeah. Anything else you want to add, Dan? No, I guess just, yeah, thanks for listening us, uh, us talking about <laughs> ourselves and our company that we're soon going to start. And hopefully, uh, if anybody's interested, yeah, give uh, either Don or us, uh, just go look at our what we're kind of all about. And hopefully, you know, if you want to set something up, yeah, just, you know, contact us and we'd be happy to help you out with whatever your needs are, uh, doing some landscaping. Yeah, you you know that we are we are very genuine people, straightforward, very honest. I don't bullshit. If I don't like it, I'll just tell you that's shit. I don't like it. So hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> that'll be good. Yeah.